DeYoung with a drive into deep left at the track at the wall. Gone! Cardinals have the lead. Two-run homer from DeYoung. Hello and welcome to episode 125 of the Viva Alberto's podcast. I'm Tyler Kinsey. I'm a writer here at VEV. And I'm joined by my co-host today, Heather Simon. She's an editor at the site. How are you doing, Heather? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good as well. And it's been a couple weeks since we've done a podcast. And the last time we did one of these, things were looking a little uncertain for the Cardinals. They were kind of still teetering around the 500 mark. It was after the trade deadline when the Cardinals were kind of quasi-selling. And ever since then, they've just caught fire. And... Since the July 27th series against the Cubs, they've been the best team in baseball. They won. We're recording this on Sunday night. They blew out the Rockies today for their ninth straight series win. So, Heather, what has it been with this team going from a team that I don't think any of us expected to make the playoffs to now they're in the driver's seat in the wild card race? Yeah, it seems like they made some moves over the trade deadline and, um, got rid of some weak kind of weaker links in the bullpen and that's done a lot to help them move forward and it doesn't hurt that you know Matt Carpenter has been completely on a tear uh I know he had cooled down a little bit as of late but I haven't seen I didn't see the game today but I had heard that he hit four doubles so <laughs> that's pretty good so uh it doesn't it doesn't hurt that the offense is just kind of taken off I it seems like they've inserted some younger players into the lineup and it's really lifted the team up kind of what we sort of wanted them to do all along. And with, I don't want to blame Matheny necessarily, but it seemed like when he was in control of things, they did, were less likely to do, to do that. And now that they have, you know, the new manager, they have put in some younger, younger players and those younger players have really driven the Cardinals to where they're at right now. Yeah, and I completely agree with what you said about the offense because the Cardinals, yeah, they've enjoyed great starting pitching in the last month or so and they've gone on this tear, but I think even earlier in the season we could all agree that there was good starting pitching and that's kind of just been a constant from start to not finish yet for the year, but as we head down the stretch. But I definitely think the bullpen turnaround has been key and obviously... Some of the peripheral numbers there might not be as great. They haven't had many fly balls leave for home runs this year, so maybe some regression down the stretch in that regard. But the bullpen definitely has been better from when I think you could argue it was very clearly in the bottom half of the league, but also the offense, like you said, and that was, you know, for the first couple months of the season, a big problem for the Cardinals. They've been second behind the Diamondbacks in WRC+, which is kind of a catch-all offensive metric. And Carpenter, yeah, he's cooled off lately, but of course he had the great game today. But it has been that production ever in the lineup. It's been new guys like Bader and O'Neill coming up, and they've provided great defense to the outfield we can talk about too. But before Ozuna got hurt, before Juan got hurt, and with Juan we're not entirely sure what the situation is with him, but they've been hitting well, Jerko, Jose Martinez. So this kind of has just been this perfect storm of thing for the Cardinals, and it's not even that though that you know, they've been getting lucky. They're only 5-4 and four in one-run games during this stretch, so I think there's reason to believe that this legitimately is an improved team from the one we saw a month or two ago. Mm-hmm. They might not be quite as good as they are now, but they're definitely improved than what they were. Yeah, and if nothing else, they've definitely caught up and made the ground that they needed to to get back in the playoff race. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know if you ever felt this way, like watching the games earlier in the season, but they were down by like two or three runs. You kind of felt like the game was over. And now I just wait because I know that they're going to come back. (laughs) Because that's one thing I've noticed too as the season's gone on is that um, they haven't been – they got a little bit blown out yesterday. But other than that, all the games have really been within one or two runs. They have never really been out of a game. And part of that's due to the pitching. But even if the pitching falters a little bit, it isn't quite perfect. Like, you know, they give it four runs or something. Not terrible, but not great. The offense has been able to put up four runs a game. And so you just feel like, well, 
they scored four, but the Cardinals are they can do that. They got they have time. There's plenty of time left. You just never feel like they're out of a game. It's been a lot of fun to watch. And part of the incredible bit about this, as far as the Cardinals really getting back into the playoff race, is it's not like in 2011. Yes, the Cardinals were great down the stretch, but if the Braves don't completely fall apart like they do, we obviously don't talk about that season right. like we do. But teams like, you know, the Rockies have been red hot as well. The Cubs have still been playing well as of late. But to the Cardinals' credits, they have kind of controlled their own fates, and they have been playing a lot of the teams that were ahead of them in the standings. And they've just pretty much taken at least two out of three and picked up at least a game or two in the standings in every one of those series. They're beating who they need to beat. They're beating the people or the teams that are their direct competitors, and it's definitely helping them helping them out. We've been calling it, uh, with a couple of my friends, uh, like former VEB writer uh, Pe- Pegasus or Andy Schrag, um, he's been calling it uh, – like putting these other teams in the trash he's like he's gonna they're gonna put because like when they play i kind of wrote a post about this on friday but they've played these teams like the nationals and um the pirates i think and after they played the cardinals their off chance sunk so low that it's basically hopeless i mean they put the nationals after that series against the cardinals they end up putting uh, matt carpenter and bryce harper on revocable waivers so, like, it's, he's been calling it putting them in the trash, which is kind of, kind of mean, but it means it in a way where, <laughs> where they just, their, their hopes are, you know, died for the playoffs. Yeah, and, like, what I'm about to say seems like conventional wisdom and something that you'd say, well, of course, but, you know, I think we should emphasize that any time the Cardinals do beat another contending team... Not only is that a win for you that you're putting in your bank, but that's another loss you're handing that team. So it's kind of a two-for-one where the Cardinals' playoff odds were 7% on trade deadline day, and I'll have to check. I'm not entirely sure how everything will exactly sort out with all the games today on Sunday, but they've been hovering the last couple days around 60%, which is pretty clearly the largest increase anybody's had in playoff odds the last couple weeks. Yeah. I was trying to look up uh, the 2011 playoff odds to see how the like graphs for that, but fan graphs didn't go back that far, and I couldn't figure out how to work that on baseball reference. I might need play index to do that. But I was trying to look it up and kind of compare because I know their odds were like almost to probably almost to zero in 2011 because they were simply further behind with less games to play. But I was wanting to kind of compare just to see because a lot of people seem to be kind of comparing this to that 2011 team, even though this team was in a much better situation than the 2011 one. They they basically did the, the 2011 comeback like two months earlier. So <laughs> so now they're in good shape and not, not have to go through that like last month drive to the finish. But... I was trying to kind of compare the two because they are they have been at about I knew it was over 50 percent and they had been as low as seven that's like the lowest it was when when a little bit after Shill took over it was about at seven percent and now it's all the way up yeah and I could be misremembering things here but I think one of the benefits and obviously the 2011 team what they've done is still far more improbable than what this team has done but I think they had the benefit, too, of outside of Atlanta, I'm not sure who there really was that was a serious contender, plus that was back when there was only one wild card. But what's been incredible about this is we've been talking about, and we talked about this leading up to the trade deadlines, that there's kind of this whole bunch of team in the National League that's pretty much all separated together, and the Cardinals have kind of leapt ahead of the field to separate themselves, and that was one of the things we were saying was going to be difficult is you can't just leapfrog one of these teams. You're going to have to leapfrog all four or five if you want to make the playoffs. And I mean, the Rockies are a perfect example of this. They've been playing well lately, but as long as you go out and you beat them, it doesn't really matter what they do because you are going to kind of separate yourself from the rest of the pack. They even have a shot at the division now, honestly. Uh, they're, what, two games back of the division or three? I think two four now. Uh, is it four now? I know they lost, the Cardinals lost yesterday, 
So that might have put them four games back. I guess it depends on kind of the outcome of the games today. But, but yeah, they have a, because they have, what, three games since the Cubs left. And they have a – if they can get within three in that last series, they have a legitimate shot at the – division <laughs> yeah i think the cubs and are playing no the reds. one saw that coming mm-hmm. yeah i think the cubs are playing the reds this weekend which i think they for the most part did what they needed to do against the reds which is kind of just hold ground and beat them but as far as what the rest of the schedule looks like the rest of the way it's three at home against pittsburgh three at home against cincinnati mm-hmm. then it's a six game road trip against washington and detroit three more at home against Pittsburgh, four against the Dodgers, three at Atlanta, and then six at home between San Francisco and Milwaukee, and then, like you said, the final three at Wrigley Field against the Cubs. So that breaks out to 19 but home games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's going to be a huge last week against the two other, now the Pirates kind of falling out, you know, two contending teams at the Central, and that's 19 home games, 12 road games. And I was kind of breaking down exactly what that looks like doing the math on some of it that's 13 games against teams above 500 18 against teams below 500 but of those teams you look at the pirates they're only two below 500 or at least this morning when i was putting this together the nationals only two below 500 and the giants only three below 500 so if you look at those teams that's that's 25 of the next 31 and the final 31 that are teams that are either right around the 500 mark or above so it's going to be tough down the stretch. I think Fangrass has the Cardinals at the fourth toughest schedule in the National League the other way, but fortunately for them, the three teams ahead of them are the Braves, Rockies, and the Diamondbacks, who are also still kind of in that cluster of contending teams for the wild card or division. Yeah, and the three teams you mentioned, the uh, Giants, Nationals, and Pirates, play the Cardinals tough. They just, they're, a t- they're all kind of talented teams. And well, the Giants are kind of they, they made some moves over the off season. They're all sort of just they're they're usually good. And so <laughs> even if they're below five hundred, the Nationals still scare me because you know they still have that really generally pretty good starting pitching. Um, the Pirates are the Pirates worry me just because they they just always seem to play the Cardinals really close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as far I don't as, know anything about the Giants, really. I mean, some of those teams still might do a little bit of selling. The Nationals already had with Matt Adams, Daniel Murphy. I know McCutcheon has been a name thrown around the Pirates, but or sorry, not the Pirates, the Giants. But as far as Washington, <laughs> I'm pretty sure the Cardinals. They played them recently, and fortunately for St. Louis, they missed Max Scherzer in that series. You can't guarantee right. that's going to be the case. And Washington still is a very good baseball team. So aside from those series against the Reds and the Tigers, I'm not really sure if there's any team here you say, you know, the Cardinals are so clearly the better team against this, you know, team that's going to be in the cellar of their division or anything like that. Exactly. It's it's going to be a, an anxiety-filled September. <laughs> that's the thing is it was kind of relaxing when they were, when you kind of thought they were out of it. Like, it, it was a bummer because I'd always rather them be involved in the playoff race. But now I got to, you know, I got to get amped up for the playoff the playoff race now. It's a uh, pretty petty complaint. I'm not going to lie. I'm not, I'm not exactly complaining about it, but, you know, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be an interesting September. I think the Cardinals, though, this year, they have the added benefits. I'll use 2016 as an example, that final weekend where... Remember, the Cardinals were playing the Pirates, who weren't really playing for anything at that point. But at that point, they just had the Mm -hmm. hope that the Dodgers would beat the Giants in one of those games, which, unfortunately for the Cardinals, Uh, didn't happen. Kershaw could not beat Ty Block. That was brutal. I sat in Applebee's and watched the end of that game, and I was like, that's probably it. That's the season. (laughs) Because Clayton Kershaw couldn't beat Ty Block. And I think the good thing, though, for the Cardinals this year is a situation like that it's probably less likely to happen because, you know, if you need to go beat Atlanta, well, you have three games at their park. Just go do it yourself and beat them. So scoreboard watching is, like, it has been already very complicated because you're trying to, like, keep tabs on five games at once, and sometimes you're not entirely sure who you're even rooting for, but... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's how I am. I'm like, who? I 
when we were at a game, I asked the person next to me, I'm like, who do we need to win this game when we were watching the scoreboard and stuff? And they're like, well, this one's, it was like Phillies against uh, maybe Atlanta or something. And we're like, well, this one's in first place, but they're both ahead and, and so we really want this one to lose and they're like no wait that's not right and we like could not figure it out it's so complicated yeah and it's obviously easy for us to sit here and say this and I don't think it is going to happen that's in September the Cardinals are going to win every single series like they have in the month of August but if they do and they can kind of keep their foot on the gas and at least play considerably above 500 I'm not sure it will matter how these other teams play just because a lot of these series for the Cardinals are going to be beating the teams that are either still ahead of them or right on their tail now. Mm-hmm. Exactly. As, you know, we approach September, this will probably be going up either Monday or Tuesday, but that means September call-ups are right around the corner, which could be interesting for the Cardinals, especially since Memphis just had a walk-off win to clinch a second straight division title, so that means they'll be headed back to the playoffs, which will extend at least into the first week of September, and I think could go as late as September 18th this year. So as far as a guy like maybe Carson Kelly or Patrick Wisdom, I assume given where the Cardinals are at the Major League team, you say we aren't as concerned about the Memphis playoffs, so we're going to go all in on the Major League team and have as many bullpen arms or whatever you need up here, right? Mm-hmm. I think so. It's tricky with Carson Kelly, though, because he just wouldn't get a chance to play a lot. And I think you want him to get as much playing time as possible while he can. So that's one of the trickier ones. But, like, maybe a Patrick Wisdom could be someone uh, I could see them adding to the Major League roster to kind of get some more bench depth. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I do. I think that they're going to have to – it's a bummer because, you know, you want you want them – you want the younger players to win and get a taste of winning and they kind of get that reward for their hard work during the during the season. But now it's, it's serious at the major league level. They're going to need, they need every, all hands on deck. Yeah, and as far as guys who could be called up, Wisdom was one you said I agree with. On the pitching side, Ponce de Leon will be called up. He'll probably be added back to the rotation. They're probably just keeping him down now for the extra spot. Then maybe a guy like Brebia, maybe Adolis Garcia as, you know, a defensive option. Guy who runs well as just more outfield depth off the bench, especially with someone like Fowler on the DL mm-hmm. right now. But other than that, you have some guys like Gallegos, Tyler Webb, who maybe they get called up in September, maybe they don't. And some of these guys, I'd imagine, the moment the playoff run ends for Memphis, the very next day they'll be added to the Major League roster. Yeah, uh, Justin Justin Williams, the, did they get him back in the Tommy Pham deal? Yeah, and he's on the 40-man which deal now. he was a part of. He's also made basically major league ready, is, is he not? Yeah, not he, ready, was, he was up for Tampa Bay a little taste. bit. Yeah, that's what I thought. So he would probably be an interesting, uh, interesting call-up. And it would be nice to kind of get a look at him since he's sort of new to the organization. We don't really know much about him so that would be interesting yeah and then there's also some other pieces who might be back there is kind of a mini roster move that I don't know if it made serious headlines today Dominic Leone came off the DL and that was more of a to put it politely he was bad in his rehab assignment at Memphis it was 10 games 10 innings 720 ERA 836 FIP for the Memphis Redbirds with Mike Myers going. His fifth was even worse than the 720 ERA. That's <laughs> that's not encouraging. <laughs> These are Greg Holland's major league numbers in the minor leagues. Yeah. Oh, poor Greg. And but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a bummer because Mike Myers went on the DL. He's been pitching well for the Cardinals both lately, but overall this season he's been kind of one of the more reliable arms for them. Mm-hmm. And then Ryan Sheriff gets released. Yeah, it's, it has been tough this year. I can't imagine Dodgers fans with the way they abuse the 10-day DL, <laughs> keeping track of all of it. Well, the whole the whole pitching, uh, the whole pitching core, like starting pitching, relief pitching, I'm having such a hard time keeping track of 
who is where and who is starting. I don't have any idea what the rotation is right now. You know, I mean, I know generally who's in the rotation, but I don't know what order they're in. I <laughs> And then they've been swapping, you know, rotation with bullpen, and I can't keep track of it. I, I'm just like, I just kind of look every day to see who's starting, and, and that's when I find out. Yeah, uh, this was not one of my prouder moments as a baseball writer this morning, but I saw the headline that Leon got activated Myers to the disabled list. Ryan Sheriff, who had Tommy John surgery, got released, to which my first reaction was, oh yeah, Ryan Sheriff, he's a player that exists. Yeah. <laughs> and now he's I been figured, released. <laughs> I, I, he's released, though? Yeah. Okay. I figured that they, we, we have, and I talked about this with a couple people about possible moves when Leon uh, was re- like, got reactivated. And I think that was what we decided they would do. Now he's released, uh, as in, is it <laughs> like released as in he's on waivers? Like, or is he, cause he's out of options. Mm-hmm. So could a team claim him? Well, he's out with Tommy John right now, so there really is no team oh, that's that would. Right. You said that. I totally missed that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. We'll just cut that part out. We'll just edit that out. <laughs> yeah, and there's still some guys right now for the Cardinals that are on the rehab trail, namely Michael Waka and Adam Wainwright. And I think the plan with Waka is he'll be back in the rotation the first week of September. I think he's making a double-A outing at Springfield on Tuesday, where the plan is to have him around 70 pitches, and then from there, they'll kind of see where he is, but also Adam Wainwright, and this was something, this was another kind of minor news tidbits that will probably, you know, have some ramifications on the next couple days, where Wainwright, he had his start at Memphis pushed back to tomorrow, which, when we're recording this, that's Monday, so Ponce de Leon could start today on Sunday. I think his final pitch count was 92, so the idea behind that is so Ponce de Leon is on track to start on September 1st for the Cardinals when rosters expand on normal rest. So the bottom line here basically is that the Cardinals are trusting Ponce de Leon over Wainwright as a starter in the major league rotation. Do you know how Wainwright has looked in his rehab outings? Uh, it's been mostly un- unspectacular, but stable, I guess. Well, he, yeah, stable. he hasn't allowed any runs so far in 13 innings. He has 14 strikeouts and zero walks, so. Oh, zero walks is not is good. Yeah, this is, uh, that yeah, was between. I haven't really heard much about it. It was uh, 13 innings over five games at Palm Beach, which is high, and then double-A Springfield. So I think the plan mm-hmm. is he'll pitch at Memphis, and they've been stretching him out too, which we can talk about in a second. So. I guess the question becomes, looking at the rotation right now, you know, just go through, who of these guys would you put Wainwright over in the rotation? Michaelis, I don't think so. Uh, Flaherty, no. Waka, no. I still think I take Gantz over Wainwright at this point in the rotation. I kind of like what they've been doing um, with Gantz and some of the younger pitchers in that they have a very, well, they, as in Schultz, has a very quick hook with them and so it's almost like they've been doing I don't know if you remember this from a couple of years ago I believe it was the Rockies were trying out this um, kind of like a four-man rotation where uh, they had two starters like one would go for like start going like three innings then they bring in another starter and it didn't really work because they didn't quite have the personnel for it but with the Cardinals, everyone's like they should do a six-man rotation. This is kind of similar in that they've been taking, like, Gantt or, um, you know, Ponce de Leon or, or whoever has started the game out as soon as they get into trouble before any damage gets done. And then they'll put, like, whoever's not starting, like Gomber or Hudson or um, not necessarily with Flaherty because he's been pitching really well, but mostly those guys, and they'll put them in, and they go about three innings. I could see something like that with Wainwright, where he either starts the game and then they put in um, 
like Gomber or someone to go another three innings so that Wainwright doesn't have to go through the order three times. Um, I could see them doing that or, you know, flip it, have someone else start and have Wainwright relieve. But since he's so used to starting, I don't know how he, I mean, he's been a reliever before, but that that's a tough situation. I don't know. I don't know what the would be. Yeah. With, with the rotation and the pitching staff as a whole and the flexibility it has, I think Michael is Flaherty and, Presumably Waka, if and when he returns, are going to kind of be fixtures in the rotation. But after that, you have mm-hmm. Gant, Gombert, Ponce de Leon, Tyson Ross, Luke Weaver got moved to the bullpen. Dakota Hudson's been a starter in I Memphis. About Tyson Ross. Yeah, and with Wainwright too, you have a lot of guys who are stretched out and are definitely capable of going through, you know, two, three innings out of the bullpen. So I think, and I'm obviously very fortunate that. Schultz is doing this as opposed to Mike Matheny because I would not trust <laughs> there are a lot of things that could go wrong there but the Cardinals and you know there's been a lot of research done about like you were saying that's penalty of facing a guy a second or especially third time through the order where the Cardinals can really avoid that we have seen that and when you have guys like Waka and Wainwright returning you're only going to have that much more flexibility to get creative with expanded rosters and it seems like in it every time we start to talk about this um, it ends up solving itself. So <laughs> every time we're like, what are they going to do with all these starters? Someone gets the flu or something and can't make their start. Or poor Carlos Martinez got hit by, you know, a 110-mile-per-hour comebacker, you know? Mm-hmm. Something something will happen and it'll sort itself out is what tends to be what history, history tells me will happen. So uh, hopefully they have all this depth that we think they're going to have because that would be and luckily they have someone like Schilt who seems to be very you know proactive with his bullpen and uh, willing to try some not necessarily unconventional things but some more modern bullpen techniques (laughs) yeah it could be interesting and not necessarily a disaster hopefully yeah, and I'll preface this by saying that we're getting far ahead of ourselves as far as talking about what a playoff rotation looks like or who's going to start a wild card game or anything like that. <laughs> but presumably Michaelis Flaherty or maybe Waka comes back and he's looking incredible. One of those guys starts the wild card game. But obviously in a do or die mm-hmm. game like that, you're going to have an extremely quick hook on a guy, which the Cardinals can afford. But let's go even further, assume that the Cardinals get out of the wildcard game or maybe they catch the Cubs win the division. You have the benefit in the playoffs of having a ton of off days after pretty much every other game, it seems like, especially in the division series. So that just gives you even that much more leeway when it comes to being creative with the stuff in the playoffs since maybe there are games where you don't have a true starter and it's you go two innings, then you go three innings, and then we'll kind of just bridge our way to Hicks and Norris at the back of the bullpen. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you kind of do the sort of piggyback start or whatever where someone goes through the lineup twice and another one goes through the lineup twice and, and you just kind of keep the other team on their toes. I probably... I think Michaelis right now is probably the starter I trust the most, but it's it's hard to say because he has, I think, the lowest ceiling. I think that's what I'm trying to say, right? Yeah, the lowest ceiling, but he seems to be the most consistent of the starters. So it's hard to tell. If Waka comes back and looks incredible, then maybe you would have to have Waka as as you're, I'm trying to think like in an elimination game who you would want to start. I feel like I feel the best with Michaelis. I think I called him Nicholas a second ago. Michaelis, my bad. But I think that's who I would feel the best with starting that game. But it kind of it kind of depends how Waka looks. I think I'm down to those two though. I like Flaherty, but I I, I maybe I'm a little old school in that I don't necessarily I I'm, I worry about him in a in a very uh, high-pressure game like that right away. I'm sure he'd be fine, but it does make me nervous. 
this could become a post that sometime, assuming the Cardinals kind of keep their current course in the next couple weeks, that's, I think there's a very plausible argument you can make that the best starter in a hypothetical wildcard game for the Cardinals is no starter, and you're pretty much running like you have a 15-man bullpen or whatever, where everybody is going in any or two, especially if, you know, a guy like Martinez is playing well out of the bullpen. I, I can't remember who it was, if it was John that wrote a post that said that uh, Su Wong Oh should start the, um, the wild card game or something like that. And basically he advocated for, for a similar setup where uh, everyone basically pitches an inning. Kind of <laughs> and that, I don't know, like people would probably be nervous about it because it's different. And anytime you try something different and it doesn't work, you you know, are you're maligned, I think is the word I'm trying to think for, for, but, but, uh, the safe choice is doing it the way it's always been done, but all the logic says that it should work. So. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think too, managers and baseball people in general, just given the kind of climates of the way the game operates where things can change very quickly particularly if you work in the game your employment status you can go from hired to fired very quickly <laughs> so I think a lot of people are and understandably so you know they're concerned about those types of things so their default setting on a lot of these things is just risk aversion but Schultz I think at this point is it safe to say that he's going to get the permanent manager's job after this season I think so. I think that's who I would want to have the job. I think he's earned it for sure, unless this whole time. The only thing I can think of, and this would be kind of nefarious and conspiracy theorist, but that they had someone in mind the whole time, and he just wasn't available yet. You know? Like, that. that's the only thing I could think of, is if they had someone in mind, but they couldn't, couldn't pick them yet, because it has to, you know, some sort of rule, or, or they're have they already have a job and they have to finish it you know what I mean Mm -hmm. some sort of contract that keeps them from being the manager now and that's you know that would be the only thing I would think that would keep Schultz from getting the job but other than that I think he's totally earned it and I think they would be silly not to not to hire him (laughs) yeah i I'd agree with that completely, and I doubt that there is some sort of conspiracy or something where he doesn't get the job, so I guess the broader right, point yeah. the broader point I'm trying to make with that is that Schiltz probably feels pretty comfortable about him getting the interim tag removed after the season, so I think hopefully he is a little more willing to take chances and to kind of experiment with things, knowing that even if the results aren't there, as long as he can justify the process behind those, he's going to be fine as far as you know, his managerial status going forward. Mm -hmm. All right. Did you have any other kind of pressing thoughts about what the Cardinals need to do going down the stretch into September to make the wild card game or possibly the division? Just keep winning. (laughs) Just keep winning. I mean, you know, winning 12 to two or whatever they won by today, that'll, that'll do it. (laughs) Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think, I think, uh, who is it that's, they have some running joke on Twitter. It's the Cardinals are whatever their record is in zero when they scored more runs than their opponent. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know who that is, but I think I've seen, I think I've seen what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And for the Cardinals, we've been talking about the team as a whole, but I guess now we can kind of focus more specifically on some individual players, specifically as far as awards season goes, which has been kind of a quiet time for the Cardinals lately, ever since Pujols left. And Molina and Wainwright, they had some great years, obviously, but I don't think there were ever years where those guys were legitimate MVP or Scion candidates. But the Cardinals do have some guys this year who are very much in the thick of those races. And I think the most prominent one would be Matt Carpenter with MVP. So if I were to ask you, Heather, right now on... August 26th at 6.41 p.m., would you say that Matt Carpenter is your NL MVP? Oh, definitely. Um, I think it kind of depends on how the voters want to vote, but I think he's, you know, it's 
you can prove using numbers and stuff that he's the most valuable player in the National League. He plays multiple positions. He's on he basically almost carried a team back into a playoff race. He that's he's got all the anecdotal stuff that voters like. He's got the numbers. He's a just a ball player in general. He's just a baller. Like <laughs> he's an you know he's the MVP. He and he's consistently been a very good player too. It's not like this is one of those flash in the pan kind of random really good years. He's been a consistently good player. That's on a team in the playoff race and he's been the best player in the national league and i think he should win and if he doesn't i'm going to be very disappointed (laughs) i'm and this is obviously going to be a slightly unpopular opinion in pretty much every circle of our listenership which is cardinals fans first off if you had asked me this you know two weeks ago i would say of course matt carpenter's national league mvp but since then and this doesn't include his stats today which was I believe a record tying four home runs, or not four home runs, four doubles in a nine-inning game. But since August 11th, not including today, 600 OPS and a 60 WRC+. plus. So I'm pretty sure he's actually been slightly below replacement as of lately. So for me, I think there's a very convincing case that Arenado, whose WRC+, plus is now only seven points behind Carpenter, With his great defense at third base, I think there's a case that he's jumped Carpenter. But again, we still have a full month to go in the season. With Carpenter, too, I'd add, he's going to be fine. He's still been making very hard contact as of late. It's just, you know, even anecdotally, I think, you know, you've probably seen it, too. He's had some really hard hit line drives lately that just find an infielder's glove, and that's the way it is sometimes. But much like the National League playoff race, I think the MVP race is very crowded where... You know, you have Carpenter and Arenado, but you also have Freddie Freeman, Javier Baez, Paul mm-hmm. Goldschmidt. I don't think he'll get as much support just because he doesn't provide value in the ways that all the voters typically see it. But someone like Lorenzo Kane, if you look at pretty much any website's wins above replacement leaderboards, Lorenzo Kane's right up there. But also, mm-hmm. and I don't know where you stand on this. Guys like Nola, but DeGrom and Scherzer have been having excellent years. Are you okay with giving the MVP award to a pitcher? I think so. Uh, I think I am, but but also, I think that the pitcher needs to have an outstanding year. If they're, like, tied with with an infielder, not an infielder, but a position player, if they're about even, I think the MVP should go to the position player, because the you know the pitchers have their own award and if and if they win mvp like that's that's an award that doesn't go to a position player so and and position players play every day and starters don't so i don't know i i think i, I don't i'm not wouldn't be mad about it but i think that a, the pitcher needs to have a pretty outstanding year like there have been pitcher MVPs in the past. I think um, Kershaw won it a couple of years ago. Was Bob Gibson one? Yeah, there have been quite a few. Dwight, Dwight, Good, Dwight Gooden, mm-hmm. Dwight Gooden. That's am I saying that right? He's won one, I think. So, I mean, there have been them in the past, and they've usually gone to very outstanding pitchers. So, I don't really have a problem with it, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have nothing against it. I'm, I'm pretty sure the official instructions all the writers get specifically say pitchers are eligible to receive it. So what I don't like are these people who automatically just cast off any pitcher candidates saying, oh, they're a pitcher. They aren't, you know, they're not even eligible for this when the rules, I believe, say that they specifically are eligible for it. And I get the yeah. argument that... Right. Mm-hmm, I get the argument that, you know, especially with starting pitchers, because it's pretty much impossible, I think, for a relief pitcher to win it and actually deserve it. But, yeah, a starting pitcher might only go one every five days. But on that one day, they're going to have a greater impact on their team's chances of winning than anybody else in that starting lineup. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel, too. Like, 
Like, I get it, because starters play more than, you know, they just have more chances to build value and stuff. Yeah, so I kind of agree with that. I think starters just get more chances to uh, to earn value or accumulate value than relievers relievers do. So it makes, more, it makes sense to me. Uh, that they would be more eligible for awards than relievers. But yeah, I don't, I don't like that people just automatically discount pitchers. I think they, the criteria probably needs to be tough, like is probably tougher just because they do have a Cy Young award. So if you're going to win the MVP and the Cy Young, you should be a super valuable, super valuable player. But, but I have nothing against a pitcher winning it. That's for sure. Okay, just to double check on one thing, this is a very important question for me. Are you okay with people <laughs> make, winning MVP even if their team misses the playoffs? Oh, definitely. Like Mike Trout should have multiple MVPs, and what does he have? One? Not nearly as many as he deserves. Yeah, I know he has. I know he has at least one, and he should have. He should have at least like three, at least. And he only has one, but yeah, and but yeah, I don't think I don't think your team needs to make the playoffs just to be the most valuable player because it's a team sport. So sometimes you just don't make the playoffs, and you do all you can. <laughs> and it's especially ridiculous in baseball because in a sport like basketball, I think star players can have a greater impact on the game than any one player in baseball. But for example, I remember when there was a 2012 that kind of grand debate between Mike Trout and Miguel Cabrera. One of the arguments was, you know, Cabrera won the triple crown, so he automatically has to win, which I don't agree with, just because batting average and home run and RBIs, there are flaws in those stats and better ways to kind of cumulatively assess a player's (laughs) overall value. But also, swap out Cabrera and Trout that year. I don't think the Angels still make the playoffs, even if Cabrera is on that team. You, You could say that with any one of these where, you know, put Carpenter on the Miami Marlins, for example. The Marlins team still isn't making the playoffs. They're terrible. <laughs> That's a good point. That is a point. Cause, yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a team. Of all the team sports, it's the one of the teamiest. <laughs> <laughs> so it just it requires a lot of things. And baseball requires a lot of things to break your way, too. And basketball, you have almost more control over what you do you know when you shoot Mm -hmm. a basket you're not relying on luck to put it in the basket where if you hit a baseball you can hit it really hard it's right at someone yeah (laughs) that's you can control where it goes to an extent but you can't control it that much so there's a lot of I feel like there's a lot more luck involved too so yeah and I will say this thing too and first off I'm going to use Cubs fans as an example here, not because I believe their fans are any worse or less intelligent than any other fans, but just because it's favorable (laughs) to our crowd for me to pick on and make fun of Cubs fans. (laughs) But first off, I will admit, a lot of these advanced analytics and wins above replacements, the one you see cited the most when it comes to MVP, these stats absolutely have their flaws, and I'm always willing to have quality discussions with people about some of the shortcomings of these stats and maybe some ways we can kind of work around those. But to see the Cubs fans are like, oh, war doesn't matter, you know, back when Carpenter was pretty clearly ahead of Baez in war. So I was like, okay, well, what is your argument for Baez over Carpenter? Well, he's leading the league in RBI, so that gives him the MVP, which you can't counter these far more accurate (laughs) stats with RBI and expect me to take you seriously. Right. Well, especially since Baez hits like fourth in front or behind uh, some of the best players in the league, you know, Rizzo, Bryant, and whoever's leading off for them at the time. Um, and Carpenter hits first. So so the fact that Matt Carpenter, I think he, he had, at yes, as of yesterday, 69 RBI. Uh, he probably has more today cause with the four doubles. But at, from the leadoff spot, like that's impre- that's more impressive than however many bias has. I don't even know how many he has because I haven't been paying attention to him. But <laughs> I was actually surprised he had been having as good a season as he was because I have not really attention to him. 
I don't even think about the Cubs at all, honestly. No. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, though, like, if you ask me who's leading the league in pitching wins or batting average or something, I mean, I could have pretty well-educated guesses, and I could probably get some of them right, but I'm not sure if I could with great accuracy just because... You know, I really don't pay attention to those stats much. I'm <laughs> I'm much more likely to judge a DeGrom or a Scherzer based off more reflective stats. Like, DeGrom's a perfect example. He has an ERA of, like, 170 and a FIP below 2.3 or something. Incredible numbers. But he has no wins because the team around him sucks and wins are a dumb stats <laughs> where you can... <laughs> You can throw nine complete game innings with only one run allowed and 27 strikeouts. You could throw a no-hitter and lose a game. That's how bad of a stat it is. <laughs> I agree. And I guess as far as, you know, some of these analytics like war goes, I think maybe my biggest criticism of them is the way that they value defense. Just because in small samples and... Even one season can be a fairly small sample as far as some of these stats like UZR or defensive run saved go. This can kind of transition yeah, into... You can't, <laughs> you can't really even look at... Like, they don't even recommend looking at a season worth of UZ, UZR, and yet it's in the season war calculation. So, that I mean, yeah, exactly what you're saying. It's not necessarily that accurate. You kind of have to use your 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 brain a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and kind of segueing into the Rookie of the Year discussions, as of right now on all these war leaderboards, Harrison Bader is right up there with Acuna and Soto as far as these war numbers go. Are you willing to put Bader up with those guys at least? Or maybe you have one of them above Bader, two of them slightly above Bader, but do you think he kind of is in that same class as them as far as overall value goes, even if the kind of more objective hitting numbers aren't on his side? That's kind of tough. Well, first of all, I'm not sure if Bader will end up with the innings to qualify. He might be in that weird gray area where he doesn't quite qualify this year, um, or he he does qualify, but he doesn't have quite the innings to give him the rookie of the year, and then next year he won't be eligible, so he just kind of misses out. I'm, and I'm not sure. I know someone's been kind of keeping track of how many innings he needs to play to qualify for Rookie of the Year. But he, to the eye, looks like a very good defensive outfielder. I, I don't know a whole lot about scouting or anything like that, but if there's something in his area, and I'm like making grand hand gestures here to indicate his area – but if there's a ball that's going, like, I'm pretty confident that he's going to get to it. Uh, there's not many that I'm like, Bader's not going to get it. Like, he even has Tyler O'Neill like, body checking him four feet <laughs> into the outfield, and he's still catching it. So, which I don't know what was going on with Tyler O'Neill that day. It was kind of funny because nothing really catastrophic happened, but I he was just having a case of the yips out in the field that was something else but anyway Harrison Bader though it just he just gets to anything like he if he if he can get to it like he gets to it I don't know he just he's he's fun to watch that's sure but it just seems like he is I don't know if he's as good as you know 35 run saved or whatever he's at now but he's uh he's definitely one of the top I'd say he's one of the top outfielders Maybe not better than like Billy Hamilton or um, uh, Kevin Kiermeyer, but he is—he's up there. To your point about Rookie of the Year, I don't think there's any innings requirement. I know there is for Gold Glove, but I'm pretty sure Bader okay. still has rookie eligibility, so he's fair game to appear on ballots there. But as far as his defense goes, like you said, maybe you know the numbers are possibly overstating how good his defense has been just because some of them are at historic levels but assuming he does get to the innings numbers I think he and I think you can make a very convincing argument for Colton Wan to also be deserving of a gold glove and I know did you write about it Wan is very adamant in the fact that he believes he deserves a gold glove but as far as Bader goes one of the things that's with a lot of these defensive numbers especially in small sample sizes is that 
you can kind of tell if something doesn't seem right if maybe one of these numbers like UZR completely differs from his defensive run saved or something. But all these defensive numbers across the board and all of his stat cast numbers, all these metrics, like, there's a unanimous consensus here that this is one of the truly elite outfielders in the game as far as defense goes. Right. He might not be the best center fielder that's ever played the game ever, like his numbers are kind of indicating now, but he's he's good. I think he's I, I think you just have just by watching him you can tell that he's good. Alright, and I'll put you on the spot here. The season is over today <laughs> and I know I've always hated that expression too, like the season ends today. Well, it doesn't. We still have a month to go, but <laughs> let's say it did end today. You're filling out your rookie of the year ballots. Who are you putting down in that first place slot? Um, oh, I probably put uh, from the Braves. Acuna. Acuna? Is that Acuna? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I probably, I probably put him. Um, yeah. Do you need three or just one? Uh, you're putting three down. So I think for me it is in some order: Bader, Soto, and Acuna. Yeah, Soto. I was trying to think of the third one. So I think that's who I would put too. And what's been so impressive yeah. about Soto is I'm pretty sure, and Bader hasn't had a ton of playing time too as far as starting games go. A lot of it's been kind of late game replacements for him, but Soto has done what he's done in not a ton of playing time as far as the pure counting numbers he's put up. Yeah, Bader's got a tough a tough rookie class. <laughs> he's got a tough rookie class to compete against. So. Yeah, and Soto and, Acu- and Acuna both look like legitimate future futures not maybe not stars but future really really good players (laughs) and someone who maybe would get a little more discussion not as far as winning the award but maybe showing up on some down ballot votes is someone like jack flaherty or walker buell of the dodgers or i know i think it's Derek rodriguez with the giants who's also had a pretty good year i'm not sure right now if any three of those pitchers who have all had good seasons even appear on the ballots just because of how uh, you know how stacked this rookie class is, especially with the three outfielders at the top. That's a good point. Yeah, but, but it's yeah. There's the outfielders get more attention, I think, too, because they play every day and they're more. Uh, they just get more attention. You see them more. Where a pitcher, it's every every five days. Mm-hmm. And then. I think, obviously, Mike Schultz, I don't think he's going to win Manager of the Year just because for as great of a job as he's done, he only took the job on July, whatever date it was, so I'm not even sure if he's eligible for it or not. Manager of the Year is always a weird one, too, because it never seems to go to manager that actually necessarily did a good job, the manager that... um, has the best story mm-hmm. so they're like this team was terrible and the year before and now they're good so it must be the manager and not the fact that like they added a bunch of talent or they're having career years from unexpected sources or anything like that it's definitely the manager <laughs> yeah it really is more of like a narrative of the year award than it is anything actually having it should to be the manager. it should be called that the narrative of the year this person had a catastrophic injury to their starting rotation and yet they managed to win. So that should be, you know, that, that's what it should, that's almost what it really should be. Yeah. And I've always loved that narrative that some fans would try to justify with Matheny when remember in 2015, when the Cardinals had all those horrible injuries and it was, it was Matheny's leadership and his eloquence that guided the team through this adversity. (laughs) No, the Cardinals had a ridiculous pitching depth and B they were like a million and zero in one run games that year. I argued that he should have won it in 2013 um, because uh, 2013 was the year he put Matt Carpenter in the leadoff spot and they had all those young pitchers that uh, in the bullpen that were really successful. Um, so, and I think it was Clint Hurdle that won it because the Pirates made the playoffs for the first time in 20 years or something like that. And the Pirates have, like, had a crazy, not crazy, a very good team. You know, it wasn't anything that Clint Hurdle was doing. So I was, like, saying, well, Mike Matheny deserves it as much as Clint Hurdle. And now I'm probably eating those words. But, <laughs> but like, if you 
you base it on narrative and stuff, then he was a, a decent enough candidate to win some of those manager of the year awards. There were some pretty good narratives there and they, they didn't just, they liked the other ones better, I guess. That's the thing. I just don't get how they vote for that stuff. I do get it. I mean, I don't understand it. I know what they're doing. I don't, I don't endorse it. As far as Cy Young goes, I think Michaelis is the only guy with the Cardinals who has any hope of appearing on a ballot just because I don't think there's so many good relievers in the National League ahead of Norris and Hicks, but do you think, Michaelis, you only get five votes on the National League Cy Young ballot? Do you think with a good September, Michaelis could move into kind of your personal top five in the National League? Uh, I have to research it more. I let's see. There's like Scherzer, who I think is probably going to win it again. <laughs> uh, Degrom, although he he's always uh, he's been having a really good season as well. Um, I don't know if Kershaw is qualified. Was he injured during the year? I feel like I haven't heard anything. But Kershaw is always someone that you have to that you have to uh, consider because he's Clayton Kershaw. And that's only three, so yeah, maybe I'd have to I have to research it and put a little bit more thought into into the actual numbers, but but I don't see why not. <laughs> why not? Sure, yes. Yeah, I think uh, Aaron Nola. <laughs> you talked me into it. Aaron Nola with the Phillies and depending on how much you buy into stats like FIP, Patrick Corbin is having an excellent year with Arizona. I think if you look at, you know, somewhere like Fangraphs and their wins above replacement leaderboard or their advanced stats with pitchers go, Michaelis is going to get hurt by some of those stats. And I do think that his low ERA isn't entirely reflective of the pitcher he's been this year. But for somebody like him, you look at the low walk rates and what I believe has generally been a decently high ground ball rates, getting a good amount of weak contact. You could talk me into it that maybe his FIP is kind of underrating how he's been as a pitcher and if he has a great September. If I squint enough, I can see him squeaking into maybe my fifth or fourth spot on the NL Scion, but I don't think with him it's anything like, you know, he's in the runnings to actually win the award. Right, exactly. So as far as predictions go... Do you think any Cardinals will actually walk away with these awards? Or as far as Bader and Carpenter go, if you don't think they win, where do you think they finish, roughly? Um, I think Carpenter's got the best shot. Um, uh, whether he gets it or not, it's always a question. It depends. Uh, I think it depends on who makes the playoffs, unfortunately, even though it's really not supposed to matter. Um, so I think Carpenter is the best shot of anyone. I guess it also depends on how it does in this next month. Um, Bader, I don't think will pass up Soto or Acuna. Although I guess there's still a month left, so that's the caveat here. And then I don't really think anyone has a chance to Cy Young. But. I think I agree with most of that. I still think someone like Arenado might be the favorites and you know, for his case, the Rockies making the playoffs would go a long way. It still is so crowded at the top of the National League MVP race where I'm not sure I can definitively say, you know, there's some years where by this point you can pretty clearly say, barring an absolute collapse, this guy has whatever award it is in the bag. I don't think you can say that with the National League MVP or Rookie of the Year this year. So I think Carpenter, mm-hmm. Carpenter has pretty clearly solidified himself as a top five guy who's going to be a finalist for the award. So with a good September, I think I'd be very comfortable uh, declaring him as my personal MVP. And as far as Rookie of the Year goes, Bader, I think, is going to run into the trouble of his defensive and base running value not really being appreciated in the same way that a home run or RBI count would. So I'm going to say Bader finishes third in Rookie of the Year voting, assuming they all have somewhat normal September Septembers given their talent level as players that he'll finish behind Soto and Acuna. I think I agree with that. All right. And unless you had any other final thoughts about the Cardinals or life in general, I guess we can kind of wrap things up, Heather. 
Where can people find you at this this site? And I will admit right Uh, now, this is buying me time to find our weekly inspirational quote. Yes. Um, While you're doing that, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter, LIL underscore Scooter 93. You can read my writing at Viva Alberto's Monday through Friday at 12 noon. All right. And you can find me at the site. I do the VEB daily post at 8 a.m. And also the podcast, which is generally up on Fridays, although I'm assuming... You all don't want this Sunday night podcast to wait until Friday. So you can also find that at the site. And unless you had anything else, I've actually just discovered a Twitter account now with over 2 million followers, apparently, called Inspirational Quotes. So this could be... Awesome. Score. I'm going to have to slap the follow button here to make my job a little easier going forward. (laughs) Um, Let's see. I'm trying to find one here. Okay, this is from 15 hours ago. Do what you fear, and fear disappears. Oh, beautiful. I love it. It's perfect. And again, I provide the disclaimer that if you've come here looking for metaphors or some grand takeaway about what these quotes mean, don't ask me, don't ask Heather, don't ask any of us. That's not our job. All we do is give you the internet content and the quotes, and what you choose (laughs) to do with it is your prerogative. All right, any last words, Heather, before we end this episode? Nope. Okay, that'll be it. So thank you all for listening to episode 125, and let's hope these winning ways and this streak of nine consecutive series wins keeps going. Thank you for listening.